Hi, and welcome to episode 20 of The Meet. I'm Ryan Huber, and with me as always is Nicholas Seagraves. Hey, Nick. Hi, Ryan. We made it. We did 20 episodes. Can you believe 20. it? 20. I think the nerdists just did like their thousandth uh, episode, so we still have some catching yeah. up to do. Almost there. We're almost there. We're, we're trekking. Um, I'm excited, though, because I think our 20th episode is going to be one of our most fun episodes. As we hinted last week on SCOTUS, our Supreme Court episode, which you should all check out. Uh, surprisingly, Nick, that, that's been like our lowest listened to episode. I don't think anybody knows what SCOTUS means. Um, but as we hinted last week on episode 19, this week, the title, the topic of this podcast today, episode 20, is Oppression Olympics. Mm-hmm. Let, let that sink in, Nick. Mm-hmm. We all know what the Olympics are. They're a bunch of sweaty people running, jumping, throwing, shooting, skate, skating, skiing, lobbing, basketballing, soccering, whatever the verb is. They're people doing things, and they compete. They compete for medals, gold, silver, bronze. But then you have a very different thing than the Olympics, Nick. You have something called oppression. Oppression is real. Uh, mm-hmm. We're not going to make light of oppression today. Oppression is a real thing. It happens mostly to, in our context, to women, to um, people of color, people of uh, non-cisgendered uh, orientation or sexuality, uh, people really on the margins of society. So we don't want to take lightly the fact that there is real oppression in the world and uh, you and I are not fans of it. Um but we do want to talk about something that we do take a little bit more likely, uh, lightly, which is uh, this thing called the Oppression Olympics. So I'd like you to maybe guide us through um, as a POG, um, not a POC. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe you can, you know, guide us through um, me, a POW, a person of whiteness and mm-hmm. uh, and heteronormativity, a POWH, a POWH. You yeah. can. You can guide me through this this confusing jungle that is the Oppression Olympics. Yeah, well, it's great. It's a we had some great turnouts the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of good sponsorship. It's good. Um, it's just really moving up. We've also started a special uh, Oppression Olympics for some minor identities on Tumblr. So that's great. It's always great when Tumblr's involved. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, but to put it lightly, I think, or not lightly, but in a in a very small way, when there are huge issues in society, okay, which when have there ever been? Mm-hmm. Only now, really. Yeah. Never ha- ever uh, has there been racism, sexism, yeah. homo, um, what do you call it when you're scared? Phobia. Phobia. Yeah. It, you know, so only now these issues are finally coming to a head. Um, and I just have to tell you right now, before you continue, I am really afraid of many things. So I think uh, mm-hmm. we should probably just be on the lookout. If you ever know, if you ever like know that I'm about to come into contact with someone who is homosexual, let me know because I'm quite frightened mm-hmm. of, mm-hmm. of gay people. Okay. Yeah, no, it's fine. Um but the in a society and with the internet, you know, this unmovable, omnipotent fount of knowledge, um, there's there's been a growth of awareness. It's 
some would say. So, you okay. know, maybe back during the civil rights era, what was really important because there was no internet mm-hmm. was making sure that straight black cis men were not being murdered okay? mm-hmm. um, by white police officers. Mm-hmm. But now we know that there are multiple people who are being oppressed at once. Mm-hmm. So what do we do? Right? So this, this is related to the word intersectionality, right? Mm-hmm. That people are like multiple things and being oppressed in multiple ways. Like if you're a gay black woman, then you're being oppressed in three different ways. And we have to try to figure out how exactly that is different from just being oppressed in one way or two ways, right? Yeah. And so you kind of have to hold these oppression Olympics where mm-hmm. the points are kind of tallied and then you get to see like how oppressed you mm-hmm. are, I guess. Yeah. Um, which is fine. I mean, and, and like, yeah. I, this seems like an obvious question, but I, I don't think it's obvious for many people. W- why would somebody want to win the oppression Olympics? Like, what's the prize? Mm-hmm. Well, this is, I mean, besides the raising of awareness. So now there, you know, there's a hundred issues. It's not just black lives matter. It's what kind of black lives. Um, but there's also another thing, uh, a, a line of thought that basically uses oppression as almost like epistemological foundation. Or, mm-hmm. and, and when I say that, I mean, I know what I know what I'm saying is true because I've been through, mm-hmm. you know, boom, 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 boom. Yeah. So it's and philosophical it, it, yeah. or rhetorical privileging of somebody's arguments because of their their uh, experience of oppression. Yeah, and I mean, let's be charitable, like we try to do. Obviously, if we are holding a colloquium about the the lives of single Hispanic mothers, it would probably be wise and helpful to have someone there who has actually lived that life mm-hmm. um, and who can speak into what that's like. So, I mean, I, I think that's maybe where the idea of it started, which I think is a good one, but it's turned into, you know, I'm more oppressed than you or my life's harder than you, than yours. Mm-hmm. So yeah, in a related way, I just for the being charitable towards people with particular perspectives and privileging their, their perspective mm-hmm. on certain issues. Um, you know, if you do think abortion is a women's health issue, then the arguments that a bunch of like old white guys, i.e. senators, um, mm-hmm. talking about abortion without having a lot of women on a committee or having a lot of women discussion, if it really truly does boil down to a women's health issue, that that is a bad thing. It's a bad thing to have a discussion about women's health, if that's what it is, it with just a bunch mm-hmm. of old white guys. Yeah. But I, I also, maybe this is less charitable, I also think in terms of just philosophy, it it is helpful to have women there if that is the issue, but mm-hmm. it's also not necessarily um, pointless to have a bunch of men talk about it. Mm-hmm. Just like, I don't think it's necessarily pointless to have a bunch of people who are women talk about, you know, a men's issue. If, if a person has expertise or has put thought into it, I think mm-hmm. it's fine. However, the reason why the oppression Olympics have become a thing, our oppression tokens, our oppression currency, whatever mm-hmm. you want to do it. I think Olympics is probably the best 
metaphor because it is almost like a competition. It is, yeah. In a weird way. By the way, I would win zero medals at the Impression Olympics. Well, just to be clear. Yeah. Well, it depends. Okay. So there's different, you know, there's different tally sheets that you can find Mm -hmm. on the internet Mm -hmm. um, that can kind of show you where you start out from. Mm -hmm. And um, some of them, some of the trends are really, really interesting. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think it's because oppression is is such a wide category. Mm -hmm. I mean, oppression can, can include religious intolerance. Mm -hmm. It can include classism, racism, sexism. It can Mm -hmm. include people who are disabled, Mm -hmm. you know? And I mean, I was, I was looking at one today where one of the, (laughs) one of the sections of like, so basically these sheets are like, if you're white, add 50 points. Yeah. And if you're Hispanic, minus 40 points. And if you're black, minus 50 points. And then you move on to the next category. And it's like, if you're a woman, minus 20 points. If you're a man, add 20 points. If you are transgender, minus 30 points. If you're a hermaphrodite, minus 100 points. If, you know, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then you go through sexuality and then you go through whatever. But there's also a body category in a lot of these. And so you would expect that to be like, if you're an amputee, yeah, obviously you're, you're pretty, you, you're not going to be able to do as much things as someone else. But other things in that category are like, one of them said ugly face <laughs> minus 20 points. So well, maybe I, mean, I would I get like, some, maybe I would get some, some, yeah, some this isn't credit. me saying that you have an ugly face, but I'm definitely saying that you would get minus 20 points for that. Oh, thank you. Um, Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. But it, there's just other crazy trends in it. Um, just a few that I've noticed. I know I'm kind of like jumping all over the place. But um, poverty is a huge, um, can go either way. It's it's very interesting. Like you would think that in this age of like post Occupy Wall Street and, you know, Donald Trump running for president and people talking about super PACs and all this yeah. discussion about money and wealth inequality and uh, those types of concerns that poverty would be like almost at the forefront of the oppression Olympics yeah. um, in a lot of ways. But what I've noticed in these conversations is that poverty can be used as a sword, but not as a shield in the gladiatorial matches of oppression. Okay. So if someone accuses you of something, you know, maybe you're a self-hating gay man or maybe you're a race traitor or the list goes on, you can't use being poor as kind of to up your oppression points. People for some reason don't aren't interested in that. Interesting. But you but you can use it to cut down other people. So if for example, let's say Jane Goodall is we're discussing her and yeah. about her work with animals, which, you know, claps all around. Good yay. job. Veganism. Yay, yay, yay. However, if you wanted to, you know, knock her down a few pegs, she comes from a very privileged lifestyle. So that, that's against her. Um, there's also weird things like not all minorities are considered oppressed. Um, so, for example, I don't really think saying that you're Jewish can up your oppression points but historically it probably should be the one that is the most because like the people who've been most actively oppressed in the history of the world have been jews yeah but they're doing fine now okay 
yeah. yeah. They're making jewelry yeah. now. Yeah, they're making jewelry now. I mean, almost literally. Um, and the and then in the last couple of years, this has been really interesting. But Asian ethnicities have been like cut off from this. Well, anyone, well, I'll add a little analysis here. Anyone mm-hmm. that's been successful as a group gets cut off because if you've been mm-hmm. successful, then obviously you weren't oppressed, which is not true at all. Asians were yeah. very, very oppressed, but because of cultural reasons and because of historical reasons they've done really well and are about to pass whites as the richest per capita group in american society united states society um Mm -hmm. but also rhetorically they serve as a bludgeon by white intellectuals who want to use them almost to like shame other groups Mm -hmm. or to use Mm -hmm. let's be more charitable to use them as an example of oppressed minorities that can rise up because of their yeah. culture, because of their sort of hard work ethic and going to school and getting educated and all those things. So basically, those people have to be ostracized by the social justice warriors, by the people who are running the oppression Olympics, because they're a non-example. They're a counterexample to be used to diminish the yeah. importance of the oppression Olympics. Well, it's true. And to be really charitable to people being suspicious of Asian Americans competing, um, I think we've all heard someone's grandfather be like, well, look how, you know, Asians, they, all the stereotypes around like being really good at math and science and, you know, like the Asian parents not letting their kids get anything lower than an A. Mm -hmm. All of those can be really harmful stereotypes, Mm -hmm. but those are very different stereotypes than, that's almost like you're too smart or like you don't know how to have fun. Whereas other uh, ethnic minorities get a lot more damaging stereotypes that like, like the Asian stereotype of being an overly hard worker isn't going to keep you from getting a job. Yeah, but I think think what's interesting is that for Jewish people and Asian people who are sort of, you've said, you know, they don't get a lot of points or maybe no points mm-hmm. um, in the oppression Olympics. They've historically experienced a, a lot of actual oppression, not rhetorical mm-hmm. or even systemic um, sort of back shelf kind of like wink, mm-hmm. wink, nod, nod. They've like my friend, Steve, uh, his parents, everything was taken from them and they were put into internment camps because they were Japanese Americans. Mm-hmm. Um, they were actually oppressed, like actually physically oppressed things taken from them, their lives kind of destroyed, put in prison for their identity. I don't know how much more you can be oppressed than that. Maybe slavery is the only, is mm-hmm. the only thing that's, that can be worse or the Holocaust, I guess is also, um, but people, I mean, I've talked to him about this where people dismiss, any notion of his family being oppressed because he's Asian, which I think is just outrageous, which is one of the reasons I take the oppression Olympics so lightly because for someone to say to him that because of the color of his skin, he hasn't been as oppressed as, as other people, uh, I Mm -hmm. think is, is um, empirically not the case. Yeah. Well, another, another strain of reasoning around that is people have suddenly taken an interest in historical thought um, so th- I've seen some t- stupid Tumblr posts where it's like, did you know the Chinese empire participated in slave trading? It's like, y- yes. Like, so it's been did like, did you know that when you add the word empire to something, it probably means there was slave trading. <laughs> Just as a, as a general rule of thumb, if you see the word empire, they probably don't mean 
social justice standards of 2016, just as a general it's a guess. rule of thumb. Yeah, well, and so there's it's it shows you why it's such a big mess because you can come to it in all these different angles. So, well, then let's clarify this. I think we're mm-hmm. getting to something here that the oppression mm-hmm. Olympics is more about right here, right now. Mm-hmm this moment than even 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, although people use that history as ammunition, certainly, mm-hmm. the real points are being awarded based upon this kind of perception of who is at a de- disadvantage right now. They're not actually based on historical oppression, because if they were, Jewish people mm-hmm. and, and Japanese Americans would be right up there with African Americans um, and others. And depending upon the time period you picked, you would have to say, well, 200 years ago, Irish Americans were treated worse than slaves. I mean, in certain ways, they they couldn't get any work and they were used for the most dangerous mm-hmm. tasks that in the South, at least not not even slaves would do those things because they were so dangerous because they were too valuable um, not to equate the, whole, the the two things. But basically what I'm saying is depending upon what frame or window of history, what years you're talking about, most people in world history can claim to have been oppressed because most people have been. So really, the Oppression Olympics isn't about history, although, like I said, people use it for for ammunition. It's really about what's happening right now. Yeah, so it's basically the situation where it doesn't seem like history and actual historical, physical, economic, social, political oppression matters as much as uh, people, social justice t- uh, type people, what their perception is today. So it seems like it's going from more of an objective historical oppression to more of a subjective right now in this moment oppression. Mm-hmm. And there's even disagreement between that because today means different things to different people. So mm-hmm. um, there's some people who localize oppression. So they'll say, well, I'm only really talking about America. Um, yep. And so in America, these ethnicities are this and this and this, mm-hmm. which I think is fair. Mm-hmm. But then there's also people who do do this weird type of, pub, there's like a publicity aspect to it. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe by numbers, Asian Americans are doing really well. But in terms of representation in media and public figures, they're not. Um, so there's not really like a mm-hmm. huge amount of Asian Americans who are super famous. Mm-hmm. So um, symbolism is important. So symbolism, symbolism is important, but it also is like not applied in a great way. Because if we were looking at like purely public, uh, if we were going to judge oppression by how much Hollywood um, views or sees certain ethnicities as valuable or the entertainment industry, then I think African-Americans would be doing really well. Yeah. If, Um, if, yeah, yeah, if, if the influence upon popular culture was like the main way of allocating points, black people would not be able to claim to be very impressed at all. Like if, because like mainstream popular culture, maybe less movies, more music and music videos and fashion and things of that Mm -hmm. nature uh, have really been dominated since the, since I mean, starting in in the 1980s uh, by by African-American culture. And dominated in the background by, especially music, with the amount of, like, African-American influence that blues and jazz has had on Mm -hmm. America as, I mean, even politically. So it's, but then, 
in certain contexts that is no one cares. So yep. it's a really weird, it's a, it's a strange animal because mm-hmm. it's almost like you can pick and choose what you want. Yeah. And, and people do obviously to make their, mm-hmm. to make their point. Yeah. Um, hmm. yeah. So given that there are different ways to award points or tokens or medals in the oppression Olympics, and given that, there are probably conflicting views based upon identity of who gets what and who's considered actually oppressed. How do we go about, how do you and I go about kind of adjudicating? um, In other words, let's put ourselves into the shoes of a, maybe an an averaged out social justice warrior um, or a conglomeration, an average, uh, a median kind of an idea you and I trying to try to actually figure out like who is most oppressed. Um, who, who would we give, um, let's work this out. Who would we give the gold? Who, who would Mm -hmm. we give the silver? Who would you give the bronze right now in early 2016 in the society of the United States of America? Mm, My answer is kind of complicated. So I think you should go first. Maybe. All right. Well, Ari can explain my reasoning. It's whatever you want. Well, I'll throw something out and you tell me, you know, let's do a little back and forth here. Okay. Um, so I would say I don't want to talk about intersectionality yet. Yeah. <clears throat> so I'll just talk about one single category. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think I'm going to try to put myself in the mind of sort of like a Tumblr or so, social justice. I would think right now, according to the popular culture response I've seen from liberal circles, that being transgendered right now would be the gold medal um category if we are not talking about intersectionality then yes i would i think if there was one um category that you could be in that would that would trump almost everything else right now Mm -hmm. um it's definitely it's an issue that is in the bubbling phase which i think social justice warriors because they like to consider themselves before or ahead of the times yep um you know it's the next big thing like this is mm-hmm. the next next big battle that mm-hmm. we all need to be ready for mm-hmm. in america so I, I would definitely agree with you on that okay let me pull throw out my silver um silver i would still think once again unit category here one category mm-hmm. um non-intersectional i would think african-american would be yeah silver okay yeah all right, and if I had to go bronze, mm-hmm. man, bronze would be hard for me, and it would be between being homosexual and being a woman. Mm-hmm. Those would be the two that I would think would be duking it out for bronze. Because yeah. you still have the women's pay thing that everyone keeps mm-hmm. talking about, even though we could get into that later. The empirical facts aren't really. But the 77% thing that everyone always says, mm-hmm. that women aren't equal, we need to fight for this, campus rape culture, um, you know, questions of feminism. If you don't support Hillary Clinton, you're not a good woman. All of these things. That's really in the news right now. And uh, but on the same on the same hand, I mean, I think it would be a no brainer that being gay would have gotten you a silver or a bronze two years ago. But because of all the progress that's been made um, for like gay marriage and things related to that, I would say that being gay has has drop significantly in the meddling system of the repression Olympics in popular culture over the last few years. 
Oh, for sure. Um, I think now is a good, now that we got like the basics done, the reason why some categories are not as clean as others, and I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, so being gay, for example, isn't as a clean of a category anymore as it used to be. Yeah. Um, because it's not being binary. Gay, yeah. Cause being in, being gay in the eighties during the AIDS crisis or before that, when it was, you know, technically illegal, Free Stonewall. Yeah, it was you by definition were closeted. Um, you probably didn't have a lot of money because you were living a really weird lifestyle. Um, and so it kind of aligned more with everything that's there. And because of um, kind of the glass closet syndrome of coming out which i don't know if i've ever explained that to you you have to me but you should probably mention it to the audience okay well in terms of coming out and so even at like a a small christian college um i saw this a lot but if you are in a glass closet which means you fit most of the gay stereotypes Mm -hmm. and you are in fact gay let's say you um, have you're a, a very thin uh, ballet man, ballet dancer with a lisp, and you say things like fabulous, and you mm-hmm. don't have strong wrists, uh, that yeah. would be someone who's in a glass closet, right? Yeah, that's someone who's in a glass closet. And there's nothing wrong with being that person. Um, but most of your friends who know you probably already have suspicions that you're gay. So when you come out, you're probably not going to lose a lot of them. You're probably not going to change positions in your community standings. Because if you are a student representative and people voted for you and that's your personality, then when you're like, by the way, I'm gay, most people are probably going to be like, yeah, (laughs) we know. Um, And then you kind of have like a closet closet. Um, which is someone who's like, could be on the fence. You know, we've had questions who can say la di da. Um, and you have a little bit to lose, but because you're kind of ambiguous, most people have probably thought about it once or twice. And then you have like, I want to describe it like an Iron Maiden closet. Um, Yeah. um, Or like a steel butcher's door that's just keeping things in. Yeah. And that's like, it's called an industrial freezer. Yeah, industrial freezer closet <laughs> where you are like the captain of the football team. You fit every heterosexual you stereotype. Girls. You've dated girls for a long time. If that person comes out, they are. It's reasonable to suspect that they will lose some standing because yeah. because people's image of them is completely different than the internal reality. Exactly, um, and, and on a larger cultural. Uh, kind of look at it in my opinion you things like stonewall the majority of people there being drag queens mm-hmm. um are wearing a lot of leather or something they're normally people who were in a glass closet anyways and so yeah. they had the least to lose and that's not saying that they what they did wasn't really courageous or brave to live their life that way at that time but at the same time it's as it became more and more normal, that's when you start seeing more and more people being like, hey, I'm a football player who's gay. And everyone being mm-hmm. like, 
cool that's not as big of a deal yeah. as it would have been in the 70s yeah. you know um so how does all this relate to the oppression olympics all these different kinds of closets mm-hmm. so as the homosexual demographic has widened and the, the same applies almost in a reverse direction uh, in, in the with different stereotypes for lesbians mm-hmm. um as it broadens and so now you meet girls who don't fit the classic lesbian stereotype who are lesbians you meet you know uh, we had the gay football player whatever kissing in public mm-hmm. i don't want to say michael sam you know whatever the hell his name was sam smith um and <laughs> michael sam smith it's a michael it's a sam smith before and mm-hmm. after category um since we had all that stuff gay has become a lot less clean mm-hmm. as an oppression type because now you have like wealthy uh white businessmen who mm-hmm. blend into culture quote unquote yeah um, who most of the time i mean like tim cook like was tim cook's i, I think is a really good example of this like mm-hmm. most people in his life kind of knew he was gay he's not super flamboyant he's mm-hmm. he, but he you know he's kind of in that middle category yeah. um but when he came out he came out and mm-hmm. people were like oh okay yeah. Because he's like a billionaire. So <laughs> it's like So like who cares? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's the same with all those it, it, because of that and there's other categories that have been affected by that. So because um because African American the category can include Kanye West mm-hmm. and can include straight men, can men can include business owners and things like that. It's not as clean. We're transgender, if we're not looking at intersexuality, is something that because you are transgendered in America right now, you know, there's not a lot, there's not a transgendered CEO, you know, there's not like a transgendered uh, senator. Um, mm-hmm. And if there and were, we might not know it. Exactly. But at the same time, it's just like there's a huge, Kind of, I don't know, things are different now. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's just really, the whole different types of closets shows how an identity that at one point would be considered, oh, if you are gay, then you probably meet all these other checkpoints, which are like, you're probably not wealthy. You're probably not well-situated. You're probably not famous. Like, check, 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 check. Mm-hmm. Um, now those things can be oh you can be wealthy and you can be famous and you can have like a normal sustainable life and so that that the tokens and the points you get for being gay go down in yeah. that way yep yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. interesting so mm-hmm. I guess the next topic that we would want to add to this mix is intersectionality of, you know, mm-hmm. what happens when you are multiple categories of oppressed person. So let's say you're a gay Native American or you're a transgendered mm-hmm. uh, African-American woman who identifies as a man. Um, how does that work? Like how do, in the oppression Olympics, like, like, how do you how yeah. do you view that? Yeah, um, I think what it exposes is that in philosophy, we have a concept of first philosophies. Yeah. 
Um, so some people will be ethics as first philosophy. Some people will be epistemology as first philosophy. Some people will be metaphysics as, or ontology, I guess I would say, as first philosophy. And all that's really saying is like, all of my thought, all of my system boils down to this being the most important thing. Yeah, yeah. we call it in theology the ruling rule. Mm-hmm. So it's the it's it's the rule. It's the you know one philosophy to rule them all. Yeah, and, and in the darkness bind them. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's basically what it is. So it's you'll read some people, and everything will go back to. But how do we live our lives after this? Or we'll go back to, but how do we really know mm-hmm. what's true and what, what, what is reality? Yeah. And I think in the Impression Olympics, inter- intersectionality shows what people actually think is the most oppressing factors in the world. Mm-hmm. So when you start letting intersectionality play in, you start getting in like it get, it becomes very nominalist very quickly so okay, what do you mean by from, that so another philosophy analogy sorry but there was a very ancient debate um that greeks loved to have while they were you know sitting around um and it was about identity mm-hmm. and a strain of that debate, one side of it, was called nominalism, which was basically saying everything has its own unique identity. So when you say the phrase leaves, like this tree has leaves, you are not recognizing the fact that every single one of those leaves is like its own object, really, and mm-hmm. there's really nothing holding it together. Mm-hmm. And this and is so- the opposite of platonic idealism. Yeah. So in strains that were kind of derivative of that. So those people would be like, yeah, but it's a tree and we have the form of a tree mm-hmm. and it's an individual expression of that, but it goes back to this mm-hmm. general concept. And that Form- debate, Formalism is part of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that debate hasn't really died. It just has different words. And I think part of a nominalist strain um, is in the Impression Olympics. So it goes from being women are oppressed to, well, white women don't, don't really fit in the same way that this, that these other women mm-hmm. fit. Into just it. a fragmenting or fracturing of categories into smaller categories. Yeah. And so if someone's biggest form of oppression is opportunity, uh, which is a very rare person in these debates. Um, so if they were saying, I view someone as oppressed, if they have less opportunities than a per- another person. Um, I think that with that first philosophy or the rule of rules, you can go into it and say, well, what type of identities and um, traits are really hard to get off the ground in our society right now? Mm -hmm. So being a black, lower class, transgendered person would be very difficult if and you were living in like the suburbs in Indiana, mm-hmm. it'd probably be very difficult for you to become successful in that community. Yeah. Um, and I, and so the stars align and that person gets like the oppression gold mm-hmm. in the, in that context. Mm-hmm. However, there's a hundred different people who have a hundred different uh, first, first oppressions, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, which would be a great, podcast about oppressions because it's like a play on word of like first impressions (laughs) anyways anyways um 
So I, I would think that some people would say, well, what the biggest crime is, is, is no voice. Mm-hmm. So I view someone as a person with no voice. And I've actually seen blogs like this and they focus on the Latino community. Yeah. Because they're like, this is, this is a bigger minority than yeah. African-Americans. They're truly underrepresented in many ways. Mm-hmm. They're growing. There's not like a Latino lights matter movement. Mm-hmm. Um, there's not shows about their lives. You know, they don't have empire and yep. blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they are on television, they're typecasted as immigrants with like a sad story that are trying to make their lives better or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, are the worst of all things, George Lopez, God forbid. Um, but it's so for that person, it would be like, well, then a really hardworking, Latino man and let's just throw gay in there for extra points would be really even in a city like Chicago which has a gigantic gay and Latino uh, population it would still be really difficult for him to have as many opportunities as whatever so I guess what I'm trying to say is intersectionality the stars and the configurations that align only unlock when someone has made a commitment to what types of oppression mean what types of things mm-hmm. um, so yeah, and I and just to really clarify, the reason why I couldn't give you like who gets gold, silver, and bronze is because a lot of the categories are almost too open now. Yeah, um, there's people in them that have been too successful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there, um, that it detracts from their from mm-hmm. them being a guarantee of mm-hmm. oppression. So I wanted to play a little game uh, mm-hmm. with you. And I wanted to call it um, the Real Oppression Olympics. Okay. And what I mean by real is from our perspectives. I wanted you and I to identify types or categories of people that you and I can agree upon because we are the co-hosts of this podcast, are the actual gold, silver, bronze winners in Mm -hmm. the Society of the United States of America when it comes to actual oppression uh, as identified by our criteria. Are you willing to play this game? Sure. Okay. Well, I'll let you throw out someone, uh, a category or a person or a group or a designation. Um, and I'll kind of push back if I disagree with you on where you're ranking them. So we could either go top to bottom, bottom to top, your dealer's choice. Okay. I'll start with my top. Um, I think the cleanest category to judge oppression by is poverty mm-hmm. not class mm-hmm. not class but actual statistical poverty mm-hmm. um i think growing up um some of the people in my neighborhood uh have families here mm-hmm. and i mean it's like me and two roommates and i work like a stupid coffee job and i can afford to live here mm-hmm. but it's the access to schools in this area isn't great. Yep. Um, the access to space because it's an urban environment. I couldn't imagine being nine years old and living in the building that I live in right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, there are, because for me, I would side on oppression being a limited um, access to opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, the people. These who, are slightly different things though. 
Like I think yeah. I think you're onto something, but poverty mm-hmm. and lack of opportunity are two very related and overlapping, mm-hmm. but not yeah. necessarily not necessarily uh, necessarily uh, no. indistinguishable categories. I, I I do I don't think there's an identity clause between them, mm-hmm. but in the way that spiders are bugs, but not all bugs are spiders, mm-hmm. I would say that poverty is probably if I had to pick one that would in nine out of 10 cases lead to a lack of opportunity. Mm -hmm. I would say that's a big one simply because, well, let me, let me just be clear so that I understand what you're saying. Are you saying Mm -hmm. that the, that poverty leads to a lack of opportunity, that opportunity Mm -hmm. leads to poverty or both? And if both, then which one trumps the other one? Um, I would say it's hard for me to say which one trumps the other one. Okay. You know, it would be awful to know that because of historical racism in this country that a African-American family that's had like four generations of life in South Chicago and has like, you know, doesn't do anything crazy, but it's just like set up a lifestyle there, likes mm-hmm. their house, mm-hmm. all that stuff. It would be very frustrating to know that because of how this country's culture operates, that they were probably, especially in the earlier generations for sure, um, held back from certain opportunities, which probably led to a level of poverty, Mm -hmm. which now also holds back Mm -hmm. other opportunities. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, both you and I probably agree that these things are mutually reinforcing. Mm -hmm. I think that'd be very frustrating. I also think it would be very frustrating to be a white, straight man in Alabama mm-hmm. who lives in a trailer park. Um, well, the, you know, the Appalachian foothills are, are some of the most desperately poor and hard to escape areas of the United States. And it's it's all exactly. white. Yeah. And, and this isn't me being like, you know, the real victims are white guys. Mm-hmm. I'm not trying to say mm-hmm. that. I'm just saying, I think it would also be equally as frustrating to be, you know, growing up in the Mississippi Delta and having a a house with an income of less than $30,000 a year, Mm -hmm. trying to do something, Mm -hmm. trying to figure out what you want to do, what, where your life is going. If you wanted to maybe, you know, leave or if you wanted to stay and like support your community. It almost seems impossible for some people to do that. So yeah. I think in places like the Mississippi Delta or even in the heartland in the Midwest, when you have these giant factory closures, mm-hmm. where how do you support this community when the only thing that supported it was manufacturing, which we mm-hmm. just don't do anymore? Um, so yeah. I'm going to mostly agree with you and mm-hmm. maybe try to convince you to change your not the group of people you're talking about, but the, but maybe a more accurate identifier of who we're talking about here. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is my argument. This has been my argument. This will continue to be my argument. Uh, And it's based on empirical evidence on data. And if you and I were purely doing a Marxist analysis, like just pure economics, Mm -hmm. rather than, you know, taking into account quality of life, other things that aren't as, you know, hard, I guess, Mm -hmm. in terms of the data, um, objectively, the least economically privileged people in the United States of America. It's not by race. It's not by region. It's not even by like how much money did your parents make? Um, 
the real factor underneath all of that is were you raised by a single mother mm -hmm. period full stop that is the most significant statistical uh data point in the conversation over whether or not you're economically advantaged or disadvantaged the children of single mothers are the poorest people and the people with the least opportunity most of the time in the united states of america and so uh, one of the things I don't think we we talk about enough is even if even like even if you're in a steel town where the factory closes down, if you have a mother and a father, or I would even say a father and a father and a mother and a mother, you know, if we're going to talk about um, uh, families that look a little different, um, if you have two earners in, in who are raising children, those children are much better off most of the time than any other situation that's comparable uh, if you, you know, freeze the other factors or all other things being equal. And so for me, that's the thing. When someone has two parents who are raising them, who are working together, who are partnering financially, who are making decisions like, Hey, the mill closed down. We need to move. Okay. We're going to, we're going to take a risk and move out to Arizona and like take Marco Rubio's example that he always says when he's campaigning, his father, his father was a bartender. His mother was a maid. Mm -hmm. But they built a life because there were two of them earning income, made sure that they, you know, tried to work. They were Latino. They didn't speak a whole lot of English when they first came to America. They had to move around a little bit, move to Nevada and move to South Florida, um, tried to build a life and send their kids decent schools. And they were able to do that because and I think this is a not just a Marxist analysis. I think it's a very human analysis. When you have a partner. Mm -hmm. It can make a world of difference when you're working together. And I think when you're a single mom, because, you know, your husband left you or you never got married or you don't know who the father is or for whatever reason, or your husband died or got imprisoned, which we could talk about in terms of the African-American community, like the, the rates of imprisonment are way too high and unjust, mm -hmm. I would argue. Um, so when you have that kind of like, how does a single mom take care of three kids like and get off of a government check that barely keeps them at subsistence level? Like, how does... How does that work? How do you build wealth or move or send your kids to a better school? So for me, and we can argue this back and forth, you don't have to accept my thesis, but for me, the gold medal goes to a kid being raised by a single mom. And also I would nod to intersectionality and say, not Natalie Portman. Because <laughs> yeah. although, yeah. although Natalie Portman like had a baby in the last few years and she was a single mom because she got pregnant by a guy she was just kind of, you know, dating at the time. Um, she's a little different then. So I would say some combination of the single mom thing and the poverty angle that you pointed out, yeah. but I'm not sure how I would go about ranking mm -hmm. those two things. So maybe poverty first, maybe I would even give that to you gold mm -hmm. medal for poverty. And so knowing that that's a huge factor, silver medal to, um, kids being raised by single moms. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's why I went with poverty. It's not that I think that it is the only, uh, metric yeah, it's just that for me, it is the most guaranteed metric. So yeah. in, a, in in type of in poverty analysis would allow for, okay, you're raised by a single mom is your mom, you know, the recent divorcee of Donald Trump, you yeah. know, like, it's yeah. obviously yeah. like, the, it's just that statistically, yeah. the vast majority of them are not. That's why exactly your yeah. analysis no, and, and my analysis line up so, so close. Exactly. When I would and I would say that I think the real oppression comes into play in things that in a lot of ways, society will probably never be able to handle. 
mm-hmm. you know and this isn't uh the poor will always be with you so yep. don't give don't give a shit yeah type reasoning yep. it's more like for example if your dad if your mom had decided to become a homemaker mm-hmm. which i i don't think there's anything wrong with that mm-hmm. and your father was responsible for breadwinning and he got into a really awful accident and was completely paralyzed mm-hmm. you know? and your mom has no work experience for the last 20 years or whatever mm-hmm. um and also let's say your dad was you were already near the poverty line to begin with yeah um which probably means your mom wasn't a homemaker sorry my analogy is getting really weird um, but let's say she really wanted to be and so you guys were um that is something that I know that we live in a society that I hope would support you in that way, either mm-hmm. through charity, which would be the best option, or through, you know, government, mm-hmm. Medicare, net. Medicaid, safety nets, mm-hmm. things to keep you from dying. Mm-hmm. However, even if we have the best safety nets in the world, that person will always be at a disadvantage just on a personal level. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yes. So there's, it's, it's, it's good to talk about categories. And I think bringing mm-hmm. up the rate of incarceration among African-American males mm-hmm. is a great example of like, this is a huge statistical thing. Yeah. You know, like this is not, this isn't like blacks are, you know, incarcerated 4% more than whites. And no, like, it's a massive big issue. It's humongous. It's, yeah. it's a huge problem and it shows well, it doesn't really show anything super clearly, but the only thing it really does show clearly is that obviously something is going on, and mm-hmm. the one factor that determines this is race. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so- we know that those guys, kids, are at a huge disadvantage in every category mm-hmm. of life, whether it's education, yeah. drug use, violence, crime, them going mm-hmm. to jail, everything. Yeah. And so I, I think what I'm trying to say is there is room for broad, sweeping recognition of oppression. I think it's good to recognize that if someone is African-American, that they face problems that I will never, ever face. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm, I think it's good to recognize that if someone comes from, you know, this type of household or that type of household, they'll face problems I never faced. Yep. However, I also think that it's, we've talked about this before, removing the personal aspect from it mm-hmm. um removing kind of an attention to what type of single mother was your mom yeah you know what type why did your father go to prison yeah. you know like was it that you were in a community that was really blah 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 and there's racial profiling mm-hmm. and there's this grave injustice and blah blah mm-hmm. blah or is it that your dad murdered someone? You know, yeah. so there, there's which even then is we don't want to say that's like an oppression, but like having a murderer for a father yeah. or a mother is obviously going to change the way you live the rest of your life. Period. Yes. Um. So and but people don't want to say that because it's it's it, there's human will involved, so it's like yeah. it's yeah. not as clean. Um, yeah. But we I, don't like to attribute motives or internal goings on to people because it seems unfair because we don't have access to how they work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I agree with you, but I, I think on the flip side of that, and this is something I wanted to talk about, um, is these new micro identity politic categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so like 
fat positivity. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, uh, introvert awareness is yeah. this huge thing. Yeah. Um, I think there is a danger, though. I, I want to clarify. I think, like I said earlier, it is actually very healthy to recognize that you have certain privileges yep. and that maybe you shouldn't judge someone as harshly. Yeah, compassion is a good thing. Yeah. And empathy and being yep. able to relate to someone and mm-hmm. figuring out where they are. And self-critical self-reflection. Mm-hmm. And I think if people engage in oppression uh, discourse, that's the best way to come to it. However, I think the most unhealthy way to engage in oppression discourse is I haven't done anything with my life, but I don't want to feel bad because I have insert 40 million uh, identity tags. Yeah. So I'm a demisexual uh, mm-hmm. person of size mm-hmm. who has Asperger's and I'm mm-hmm. an introvert. And because of those things, which 300 years ago, who gives a shit? Mm-hmm. Um, because of those things, it's hard for me to be really funny in public. So I don't get as many jobs. Yeah. And it's like, okay, 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 okay. That is kind of true, I guess. But there's also an element of, I don't, I don't like the trend of trying to explain almost like applying the meta analysis to mm-hmm. yourself too intensely. Yeah. So instead of viewing yourself as like, I'm Nick and I'm gay and I'm a little bit chubby and I can be kind of lazy. Mm-hmm. So instead of being like, well, maybe I could work out, maybe I could engage with my community to see if they want to change their mind about being gay. And maybe I can just develop better habits. Mm-hmm. If instead I started identifying as a, as a chubby person, and that's mm-hmm. like an identity thing for Wouldn't me. Wouldn't you be a person of chubbiness? Yeah, sorry. I don't know. Also, as a side note, where did that come from? I guess because there's... Person. There's, you want to lead with person. You want to lead with person, and there's bad connotation for, like, mm-hmm. colored people. Yeah, yeah. And you want to say like a that. person of color or a person of something because you mm-hmm. put their personhood first. Which is ironic because they're actually not doing that mm-hmm. in the majority of Yeah, and notice we don't say person of murder. <laughs> yeah. And I'm definitely not equating being overweight with being murdered. Uh, no, being I just murder, think, you being know, we, yeah. we, uh, we keep certain things the way that they have been classically. Yeah. But I, I think there's something very dangerous with, I think, in its most baby form. I've heard it a lot with the different people I've lived with and being in a dorm. There's this huge discussion of, like, is that just someone's personality or is it yeah. actually a bad habit? Well, like, I like to play yeah. a little game where we, like, do mm-hmm. the, the Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court treatment, like, where we mm-hmm. send somebody send somebody back in time. Mm-hmm. I always like to send people back in time, like, just take, take a, a person I don't know on Tumblr and say, what would happen if I sent you back to live in i don't know western massachusetts in 1780 so you Mm -hmm. land there and people are very kind to you they try to help you out and they say hey we're gonna feed you we're gonna clothe you you can be part of our community but um you have to help us grow this wheat Mm -hmm. and you said well i just need to let you know that i'm a you know i'm a person of size i i have um some social um disadvantages and you start mm-hmm. to describe all of these things right right you start to and they say 
cool, well, you still have to help us grow this wheat. <laughs> like, yeah. like, whatever you say, the response is, cool, like, we're all going to die if we don't make this food yeah. now. So, so It actually gets really cold do. here. Yeah. So, like, yeah, we, so we need sure we food now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. for yeah. me, that helps cut through the shit a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. like in, in some ways, what I'm suggesting is a lot of these kind of identities are only important because we live in a society of luxury. Yeah. These uh, identities would be a lot less important if we lived in a, in a society that was on the razor's edge of survival and subsistence all the time. And in fact, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why when a society gets more wealthy, when a society gets more stable, when a society gets industrialized and then technologized and globalized, that's when you do get more and more people going, oh, I'm gay. Like, mm-hmm. I realize I'm gay because if I were living in sub-Saharan Africa 500 years ago, I might need, might not even have time to kind of like sort through this. I would just get yeah. married to a woman and be forced to have children with that woman. And maybe I would have these weird feelings that I had that I couldn't really place, but I would be just trying to subside and do the things that my very kind of, I don't want to say oppressive, but very structured culture Mm-hmm. Uh, basically said this is the script for how to live your life and i think in our society as those scripts multiply as we get more and more options like you and i've talked about the burden of choice as we become more and more subjective as we kind of have these interior things these these identities do become more important in our advanced society and i'm, I'm not even saying that's necessarily a bad thing i just yeah. think it helps us to gain a little perspective when we do the experiment mm-hmm. of sending someone back to an agrarian society with all of their proclivities yeah, and it, it, but it also showcases something that I think is the inconsistency that drives me crazy. So if you're going to make the claim, I have, I'm on, okay, here's my favorite one. I'm on the autism spectrum. Um, yes. Or I have ADD. Okay. 98% of these things online are self-diagnosed. So first of all, there's that. Um, and second of all, even if it is diagnosed, no one in the in the uh, profession of psychology knows what to do with those two categories anymore because they've been so abused in the last uh, decade and a half. Yeah, of just being like everyone mm-hmm. has ADD, everyone is on the mm-hmm. autism spectrum. In a related um, story, um, white people, especially uh, rates mm-hmm. of addiction to both pharmaceuticals and illegal drugs when they get cut off from pharmaceuticals are skyrocketing. Just so, yeah, just so you know. So there's a heroin e- epidemic <laughs> in white America because there mm-hmm. there's a there's a prescription drug epidemic in white America. Uh, and I would guess that one of those, the reasons for that is that we start pumping our kids full of drugs at a pretty early age because we overdiagnose things, but that's just a guess. I'm not a doctor. Yeah, that's a side note. Um, Heroin. So, so it will start off with, you know, I'm on the autism spectrum or I have a, I have attention definite disorder. disorder. And, um, and because of that, I do not want to be, I don't want to have certain things expected from me um, because I feel like I can't do them as well, which is fine. All of that is fine. So if someone is like, I have ADD and it's really hard for me to take tests. Fine. Perfect. And and in that, and in that issue, it's really easy to accommodate that person. Once people know that, you can, and it seems pretty obvious, and maybe there's some actual, like, medical professionals that, you know, give the, like, yeah, that's, this does seem to be the case, we don't really know why, then give them longer to take their test. However, when it gets really weird is when it's, I want to go on disability now. 
Yep. Um, and and even that, I can see. Like, let me let me be really charitable and just take their premise as granted mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. say it, it's impossible to work when you're on the autism spectrum. Mm-hmm. Um, let. But the thing that really kills me is in the same Tumblr post or video awareness thing or whatever the hell it is, there will also be, and this is why I'm proud to be this way. Mm -hmm. And and that sounds really harsh of me to not like that. But there's a thing where it's, I have a disability. I can't do certain things, but I also, and I don't want to be held to the standard that everyone else is. However, I would like to not be treated differently at all Mm -hmm. from other people. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets really inconsistent for me. It's like, if you have self-diagnosed yourself to say, I can just not get up and go to work five times a week. Like I just, it's socially exhausting for me. Then when someone doesn't want to go on a date with you, that isn't a form of oppression. That's a form of them saying, well, you don't work and I kind of need someone who does. So (laughs) like, it's, it's one of those things. It's the same thing with like fat positivity. It's like, sure. I think it's great that you're not trying to hold yourself to a standard that unless you're Beyonce and you're going to run like three and a half miles every morning and eat like three pistachios for lunch and then run eight more miles at night Mm -hmm. um, to look like her. I think that's really healthy that people are starting to realize, Hey, my body type, because I'm Norwegian, is probably never going to be this, or I just don't look like that. I think it's great. But then when it turns around and being like, when people aren't attracted to me because they're fat phobic, mm-hmm. um, or people aren't attracted to me, I don't know why the dating thing is really coming up, but there's this huge thing in the grinder world right now, which, I mean, I'm not a part of it, I swear. Um, but... In Grind Grinder is like a gay dating app, and it's not dating; it's like a gay hookup app. And recently, mm-hmm. in major areas, uh, transgendered people have been using it. Um, and there's kind of been this outcry that when gay men find out that the person um, is a man transitioning to be a woman, and they don't have, you know, male genitalia. Mm-hmm. that they don't want to meet them anymore mm-hmm. or hook up with them. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of slurring this whole thing of like gay men are very transphobic. Mm-hmm. And I'm, it's kind of this weird thing where it's like, do I, should I treat you like you're a special individual that deserves these certain things? Or should I treat you like everyone else? And that's the weird um, paradox that it makes it really difficult for me to know even what to say in these situations. Mm-hmm. Am I make, am I being clear at all? Yeah, and, and like I, I want to go back to the disability thing you were mm-hmm. talking about because I think it shows the triumph of the subjective over the objective in many of these conversations. Mm-hmm. So people on disability insurance in the United States have skyrocketed since around 1985, uh, particularly since 2000. And there's a lot of reasons for it, but the the major re- reason that that explains the vast majority of the expansion in disability insurance is that the standards for what it means to be disabled have been greatly expanded because it's gone from objective criteria determined by a physician to including very subjective criteria of people saying, well, I have back pain, I have I have these, this unexplained pain, I have headaches, I have all these things. So that, like you were saying, the self-reporting aspect of this, we've put more and more people on disability 
uh, insurance to where it's over $200 billion a year. It's spiked with both the Great Recession and baby boomers retiring. But the, this major factor is people can just say, hey, I'm disabled. And doctors can say, okay, why are you disabled? And they say, well, because I feel disabled um, and, I, and I can't work. And, and they get real money. People get real money and they're, they're getting paid not to work uh, because of a subjective call um, about their own disability. And so if someone's assessing their own disability, if someone's assessing their own category, if someone's ass assessing their own oppression, there's an obvious incentive if they get money for it or get advantages for it or get whatever to lean the way of saying yeah this is this is an oppression this is something i'm really going for this is something um you know even if some i mean the weight gain has really been coupled with the disability insurance gain because people say well because mm -hmm. i'm a person of size or because i'm overweight or because i'm obese or whatever this is a disability and i need to be on disability mm -hmm. insurance this is real you know, yeah. and paying for these these medical bills as well, which what's happened because we know that being a larger person means that you're going to have more diseases. That's just true. And so you get this thing where we have this. Is it? <laughs> we That's have a new thing. Sorry. Yeah, I'm trying to be fat, fat positive, yeah. but it's really hard. Yeah. Um, so so what you get is in, in the final analysis, society is paying people to be people of size because they say, well, this is a disability. This is how I am. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think that's a problem. I'm just going to go yeah. uh, come out and say it, uh, that when the subjective is so over determining over the object is some incentives for people to do things that aren't necessarily good for society or probably good for them since this population also has, uh, quickly increasing rates of narcotics addiction, addiction and suicide. Um, mm -hmm. So I'll, I'll quote uh, a piece by Ovik Roy from a few years ago on this. Um, he says, this is a large and growing issue. Um, it's not just about the fact that some people are taking advantage of the system. It's about the fact that taxpayers are, are paying able-bodied Americans to drop out of the workforce, increasing the burden on those who are still working. That, in turn, makes it that much harder to keep our fiscal situation under control and harder to provide for the truly disabled. If these issues matter to you, and they should, you know, keep keep an eye on this conversation. And my point here is a broader point as we kind of wrap up is for people who are truly oppressed and people who are truly disabled, poor people, of course, many people within the African-American community, um, some transgendered people and, and intersectional people and women, and for, for truly oppressed people, when you kind of get into this, this very subjective Tumblr, social justice warrior, you know, oppression Olympics, it, it cheapens actual oppression. It, it, it actually takes away. It's the crying wolf. And like Chris Rock said at the Oscars the other night, you know, we didn't used to worry about whether a black person won best cinematographer when we were afraid that our grandma was going to get lynched. That's a, that's a, that's a paraphrase, but but there is real, real, real oppression in life. And that's not to say that these smaller oppressions aren't real. But it is to say that when we try to make equivalencies between them, between very objective Japanese internment camps, oh, the, oh no, but you're Asian, so you're not really, you don't really count as oppressed, that kind of stuff. When we, when we do this over-determination of the subjective angle of the criteria of being oppressed or being disabled or whatever, it can really hurt the people who truly objectively or mostly objectively are either oppressed or disabled. So that's kind of my takeaway.
that's what I was going to end with too. Um, just to pull the Hegel card again, it's ironic that people who constantly voice concerns about oppression, it can be argued that they are actually making it harder for people who actually are more oppressed to be taken seriously. Yep. So I think, I think the fat positivity is a great one. I mean, we know that obesity is not great despite weird Tumblr articles that are like, I'm 900 pounds and my doctor says I'm healthier than mm-hmm. I've ever been or whatever. Mm-hmm. And by my doctor, uh, I mean, that's the name of my dog. And it's by my, my doctor. doctor, I mean my headmate, yep. Dr. Oz, yeah, who, who lives, lives inside my head. Yeah, with me. And yeah, is a with separate me. person with human and rights. It's, and it's really scary because I think he sexually assaulted one of my other headmates, but I don't know what to do. Um, real Tumblr post, by the way. Um, so, but we also know that despite, and this is, it's hard to even say this without it being a joke, which is awful, but we also know that thyroid problems do exist. Yeah. There are so, some people who are overweight and cannot help it. Exactly. Our type one diabetes, something you're born with. Mm-hmm. Because of the insulin, it can either make you lose a lot of weight or it can make you gain a lot of weight. Mm-hmm. So there's there are pre-existing medical conditions that you have mm-hmm. absolutely no control over. I think that it's your duty as a human being to try to manage them. Mm-hmm. Um, but saying the thyroid problem thing, that coming out of my mouth already feels like a joke. Because so many been... people have talked about it, yeah. Exactly. So when it becomes this issue of like, you shoving yourself in here now makes it difficult for someone who actually does have a thyroid problem and will probably never be under 200 pounds, even if they're doing everything right. Um, like those are the people that need body positivity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like those are the people that do have a disability. People that, who have been you know, in like a horrible fire or something like where yes. like they just don't, or they have a birth defect or something where it's like, Hey, mm-hmm. you know, you shouldn't let the fact that you don't have what society says is the perfect look, you know, determine mm-hmm. your worth as a human being. That's true. Yeah. And it's just unfortunate that their voices are being, uh, first of all, probably not even listened to, but second mm-hmm. of all, like crowded out by the fact that, there's a million people online saying, like, if we really do find out that there are there is a very wide autism spectrum and there's things that can affect certain things, if every single person in the world claims it, it just becomes defaults again. So I just think that's kind of crappy. Mm-hmm. Also, you guys mm-hmm. should uh, go out and help in some way, tutor, be a buddy to, befriend. Uh, come alongside uh, a poor kid that has a single mom because that's probably the most oppressed person you actually know. Um, mm-hmm. And should probably, uh, you know, help them out or become a teacher and go teach in a low-income school or teach for America or Harlem Children's Zone or vote for politicians mm-hmm. who are willing to give kids um, more access to better schools. So that's our, our preachiness for the for the week, but that's our takeaway. And, um, and next week I was thinking, Nick, we could do something that's like so much more important than this topic. Um, okay. Which is video games. Okay, yeah. So I was just thinking we could just generally do a video games, and obviously we'll have sequels to, to that episode because video games is kind of a universe unto itself. Um, but mm-hmm. I was thinking we might be able to convince our good friend Mike McCann to uh, come on and perhaps join us for episode 21, which, uh, if you are cool with it, would be video games. Yeah. 
Sweet. Can the can the title be Vidya Games? Vidya Games. I'll I'll see. I'll see what our Vidya uh... Games. Vidya Games or Pokemans. Those would be just what my mother has called my video games All since right. the day I was born. Well, kitten, if you're listening, uh, next week's episode will be Vidya Games. But uh, until then, this is Ryan and Nick, and you'll hear from us next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.